Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Roker Report podcast in association with the Sun and Community Soup Kitchen. It's Gav back after Sunland's 2-1 defeat at Coventry and you join us this fine Sunday night uh, where there's not much went on today I don't think and uh, joining <laughs> me to chat about all things Sunderland, AFC, the best team in the North East, the last one to win at Wembley. I told Chris before the pub, we weren't going to talk about it, but there we go. Uh, here's Chris. Hiya, mate. <laughs> and just knew you couldn't help yourself. Uh, <laughs> I know. But yes, yes, I'm fine. As we said, um, we're much better than we were 24 hours ago. So um, I'm glad, yeah. well, yeah, I'm, I'm glad we didn't record this a day ago. I'm feeling a lot better about things. Um, yeah, we did. We lost at Coventry. Again, adds to the list of games we haven't won there since, I think you said, 1985. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, 1985. It's been a while. Big flag of Jimmy Hill in the crowd. Yeah. Looking down on us as we lost. Uh, but never mind. Yeah, Sunderland were terrible. I mean, just to follow on from Rotherham, which we really didn't want. We talked about on the preview. Like, we try not to be as bad as we were at Rotherham. This wasn't far off, really, was it? It was pretty shoddy from us. And I think the fact Ahmad scored a screamer and reduced the deficit and halved it doesn't really take the shine off for us, does it? Because we were no. terrible, really. No, no, it didn't. It didn't at all. I mean, it was it was a strange moment, actually. I mean, we'll probably come on to it, but it was a strange moment, that goal, where it was a roll-your-eyes moment. It was like, you know, what have we been doing for 93 minutes before he smashed it in the top corner? You know, it was kind of one of them, why haven't we done that earlier? But yeah, it was another disappointing day, you know, especially after Rotherham. And and again, we talked, we talked after the Rotherham game and we talked about some of our weaknesses and what happened and the way we set up and... It just doesn't seem like we learned from from our lessons. I mean, just in the first five minutes, my notes were, you know, we look on top. The game was very open. I thought we started off really well, but the 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 main point I noticed straight off in the first five minutes were how physical Coventry were just in the first five minutes. And I think that's teams looking at us now, though, Chris, and going, "Oh, softies." I was just about to say that exact thing. I think now, you know, this is the second round we're playing sides. And they know that they've kind of got us a little bit clocked. I think. I think teams know that they they need to be right on us, give us no space, just to give us a kicking. Because first five minutes, it was obvious Coventry came out to give us an absolute hiding to to just yeah. you know even if we got past them, they, they tripped us up or they grabbed our neck or they pulled our arm. They were just like that, and and we'll come onto it again. But the referee let them do it as well. <sighs> So there's there's a we'll get into it like I said, but there's a there's a double edged sword to this that the referee let them do it, 
but we need to be better to counteract it as well. Yeah, I'm I'm sick of talking about refs, but you can't sort of skirt around it to really, you know. And, and the problem is we got asked a question, didn't we, on the last pod about basically how we're going to deal with shit refs. And you just said, like we have for years, just get on with it because there's nothing we can do about it. And that's what we didn't do. We were soft as shite. We let Coventry get away with it and the referee let them get away with it. Yes, and I know that's not fair, but that is the way it was. And, you know, you've got to play at the whistle. You've got to... Have a, have a bit yourself, you know. If if they're going to give us some, give us some, give some back. But we didn't. We were just soft as cloths for the most part. And I mean, you look at the goal, the first one. Yeah, there's a foul in the build-up on Michu, and he's lying on the halfway line. And then Clark, you know, fair fair challenge on him, but he gets clattered. Gelhart gets fouled, and we don't get the the free kick for it. And from there, it's just like a snowball effect. And the reason we concede the goal is because we get caught ball watching. We get caught in a plane to the whistle and they score and yes you've got to look at the referee and say ref why aren't you blown for that that's a blatant foul but at the same time our lads have got to play to the whistle you know how it is they're going to be we had so many poor refs in this league this season already you, you can't you can't just stand still and go how oh, are ref come on you've got to play on until the, the ball goes out of play then give them some you know and we're not doing enough of that yeah what you've just said there about this or oh, how are ref Look, the referee was just awful, but you have to play it to the whistle. The referee's going to do his thing, and you have to adjust your, your game to it a little bit. The Coventry fans must have almost been lapping it up and laughing at us because every time we thought it was a foul, our players were whinging. And yeah. the more the more our players were whinging to the referee, the more he seemed not to give us free kicks when Coventry were being over kind of physical with us, even off the ball slightly, or, you know, even after the ball went, they were they were leaving something on us or leaving their leg in or giving us a kick. And the referee was giving us nothing. But the problem is all we were doing was crying off to the ref. And I think that made him yeah. more that, that made him even worse. But mm-hmm. we as you says, we've got to we've got to give a bit back. You know, if a referee's not given anything, then you know the rules. You know that the ref mm-hmm. you know where the bar is for a referee to give a free kick. So stick one on them, you know, get stuck in, put a tough tackle in, show Coventry that we're not going to just lie down and take the, the kicks and take the tackles that they're going to come on, but that the referee's not going to yeah. give a free kick for. Yeah, and, and given some of the yellow cards we received for things that weren't fouls, I, I would I wish we'd just got stuck into them, to be honest. We might as well have. I mean, ridiculous. I think Dan Neil got a yellow card. I think he, I'm sure he got a yellow card for, for next, to, next to nothing. And they'd done about four or five tackles. Someone got it. Uh, yeah, I think no. Neil, Neil got booked. Yeah, Neil got booked. But Ahmad got booked for he got fouled like four times yeah. and then did nothing really. And they their player totally overreacts to it. And Ahmad gets a yellow card. Yeah, and it's like I'd, I, you know, I, I wish he had knacked him because it would have been worth it. And I can't believe the way they played, and only two of their outfield players got booked for fouls, and two two of ours did. I mean, because it, it was. The, the teams were just miles apart in terms of... I mean, they were going over the line so many times where the referee just was not blowing his whistle. And then and then two minutes later, for the softest thing, he'd blow up for yeah. no reason at all. I mean, at least be consistent. Well, how much do you reckon that's to do with our inexperience? Because, you know, experienced players, they work a referee out very quickly and they're like, well, he's going to give them now today. Let's just... Let's see how much we can push this. Yeah. And they did. They pushed it. Every time there was a 50-50, they were pretending they'd been shot. They were in the ref's face. They were screaming. Yeah. They were trying to get us booked. Their game management compared to ours was night and day. And you might have to look at the, the sort of age of our team and think, well, is this something that young players are even capable of playing that way? Because 
it did look again like men against boys at times when it was in that situation where we were just we never really stood up for ourselves and defended ourselves properly on the pitch. And I think that's where the game was won and lost. Like it was against Rotherham. Yeah. Just too soft. It was McFadden, um, their defender. Yeah. I mean, every time there was a free kick, he was in the ref's ear. Every single free kick. He, he sprinted, even if he was 20 yards away, he sprinted up. He was in the ref's ear. Oh, how are, you know, yellow card, get your cards out. Or, or how are ref it was, you know. And, and they, seemingly, they, they made us seem as bad as them when we were nowhere yeah. near. But but it's it's as it's as you said. If the referee sets a bar for a free kick, then you know where it is. You don't keep playing. Yeah. You you don't keep. You know you can push it that little bit further. But Coventry did that, and we didn't. Yeah, Joe Lewins asked us on Twitter about the ref, so I hope we've covered that off for you, Joe. But there's plenty we could say about him. I mean, you've just you've just touched on it there, Chris, about sort of the the role that McFadden played for them, and it makes me wonder why was Luke O'Nine not playing in this game. Because he would have been doing that. He would have been. He's the master of the dark arts. He's, you know, that's that. He loves that side of the game, and we we needed that presence against Rotherham. We didn't have it, and we needed that presence against Coventry. And we didn't have it. And I'm sat there watching the game. Bear in mind, of what I'm, I'm not saying. Luke O'Nine's a savior. I would never sit here and say, you know, he's the best midfield player we've got. But at QPR, he was man the match, and that's how he played. And we, he won us the game with his performance, in my view. And since then, he hasn't played midfield. He's come on in defence. And I'm sat watching it going, am I, is Mowbray saying something different to me? I mean, I've been, I've been very fair on Mowbray and, we, and we're right to be because he's got a lot right. But I think this week he's had a mare. I do. Yeah. I think he's just, his decision-making's been really off. I think some of the things he said in the press, which you touched on in the last pod, has been strange, frankly. Mm. Not really relishing the chance of a game. I don't get that. And, yeah. you know, this one comes up and we didn't look up for it. And I just all I could think about watching this game was what you said when you said when he's sitting there in the press talking about, you know, oh, I'd rather, I'd rather we didn't have a game this week. You know, we, yeah. we look tired, we look leggy, blah blah blah. That's got to be filtering through to the minds of the players when they're going out on the pitch. And you, Coventry, they were licking their lips at us because oh, yeah. look at the stats, man. Seventy-two percent of the possession we had. We played almost three times the amount of passes they played. We had two more shots on target. To me, we were never in the game. We were—I mean, we Ahmad's goal right at the end makes that look a lot better than it was. Yeah, yeah, and I, I used the term during the week when we talked about Coventry. I said to you that Coventry will smell blood, and they did. They were on it. You know, they—they they kind of knew exactly how to play us. And as you said, mm. with the, the Lugo Nine thing, I mean, I mean, I, I don't—I'm <laughs> not going to disagree with you. I'm going to completely agree with you. But having said that. If you take the referee into consideration, I reckon this referee would have sent O nine off just for the fun of it, um, because he was <laughs> like that. But but the fact that we and again I said this at the beginning uh, that we talked about after Rotherham, this Mishu and Dan Neil pairing when you're when you've got Robert Samad and Clark bombing forward and not really kind of tracking back, and you've got just them two in midfield. And they got overran against Rotherham, and they got outmuscled against Rotherham. They got well, they got bullied against Rotherham, and they got bullied again at Coventry. And and we're not, we don't seem to be learning from that that mistakes. And I mean, like you said, it seemed on, you know, it looks perfect for all nine. And a QPR, QPR was the same. QPR was a battle. We didn't win three nil by playing beautiful football for ninety minutes. I mean, we were under the cosh for long periods of that game against QPR. And Luke 9 was important to win us the ball in midfield and have a bit of steel in there. And that's one of the reasons we won that game because we we ended, we started to win the battle in midfield. Whereas at Coventry and at Rotherham, 
we just had no chance. I mean, Mishu and Neil off the ball mm. were absolutely all over the place. We hardly put a tackle in. It seemed like they had the run of the place in, in, in central midfield. You know, when they got the ball, I thought they looked neat and tidy, nothing special, kept the ball. But off the ball, they were all over the place and they gave, they gave Coventry so much room in the middle. Yeah, this leads us into a couple of questions we've had around midfield. Uh, Pat said we need more physicality in centre midfield. The combination of Neil Mishu, Ahmad, Robertson, Clock's too lightweight. Who makes way for 9 We've got another one from JMZ who said Dan Neil needs dropping. I asked if he should have a rest, but Christ, he cannot play the Evans role. And I mean, well, just as a general topic around midfield, we might as well segue into the first goal because. Before we recorded, me and you watched the goal back a number of times just to try and get our heads around things again. And one thing that's apparent, I mean, we'll go right through the goal, but one thing that, that was apparent to us was that big void in midfield, yet again, that existed when we played Rotherham. I mean, Michu gets fouled further up the pitch and is on his backside, which, you know, you can't really help that, I guess. But in amongst the, the melee around the sort of foul on Gelhart, which our players get dragged into, Neil comes flying across out of position, which in the end allows their goal scorer, I think it's Allen, to just wander to the edge of the box and score. And you're looking at that and going, you know, who's picking him up? Who's watching him? Um, I mean, let's go right through the goal. So, like I say, Michel gets fouled. There's a little spell in the build-up to the goal where Clark gets tackled. I think it's a fair tackle, to be honest. And Gelhart gets fouled, I think. Their player handles the ball in the process, carries on playing because the referee lets them get away with it, which you've just got to play at the whistle. And that's exactly what we didn't do. Danny Bart and say too busy trying to win us the free kick. And to be fair, even before then, the 10 yards out of position, you look at the defence, it's like splitting two, isn't it? You've got Danny Bart and Elise 10 yards further forward than Hume and Ballard were. Mm. And they advance from that situation. Elise is caught ball watching. The guy wanders down the right-hand side. I think it's uh, Gokarez, isn't it? Gets slipped in behind Elise because Elise is a mile out, like I say. Bart hasn't got the pace to keep up with him. He gets in the box, he squares it. And the guy who Dan Neal should have been picking up is stood waiting to put it in the back of the net. Just a, yeah. a poor all-round goal. And yes, we can feel aggrieved having not won the free kick, but you have to play it at the whistle, don't you? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, ho- horrible goal. I mean, j- just just in all fairness, let just for the for the kind of build up to the goal for that first twenty five minutes, just before can we get into the goal, I thought first ten minutes we were actually in all fairness, I thought we were the better side, and I actually thought first ten minutes we look on it and, and I thought oh we, we could be in for a game today, apart from the first two touches that Ahmad had in the game, which were I mean. I mean, I think everyone kind of noticed them because they were so bad with these first touches. But I, w- I wanted to kind of mention those two because actually the game started to, to change a little bit when it was about 15 minutes gone, I think, and, and Ahmad played that ball to the, the Coventry player. He just passed the ball backwards and it went straight to that Coventry player and then they had a half chance and they were almost through on goal. It was like five, five ten minutes after that because the game slightly turned on that. That's when Coventry scored. But... Like you say, Mishu was down injured on the halfway line. And, I mean, again, we might come on to it, but like we kicked the ball out for them second half. Oh, that was... <laughs> what the but, hell, man? But, I mean, it, it, the whole thing was ridiculous. While we, I mean, I saw, to be fair, Mowbray was fuming on the sidelines that we, that we did it. And I think everyone was. But the fact that they, when they scored, Mishu was on his backside, which meant 
Dan Neal was in the middle on his own and he, he got pulled out. I mean, he was ball watching. He got attracted towards the ball. But Mishu was on his backside and halfway line injured. Mm. And like I said, we kicked the ball out for them and they didn't kick the ball out for us. But like I said, Clark, Clark got took out. That wasn't a free kick. Gellart got wiped out. That was a free kick. Wasn't given. And then you said there was a touch of handball in there as well. And then after that, Danny Bart fell asleep, completely out of position. Elise didn't quite know what to do fell asleep out of position and then Dan Neal hadn't followed his man into the box Ballard was caught in two minds whether to come to the man or you know mark the, the lad in the box and it was it was just a horrible goal all round to concede yeah and I don't think we 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 responded very well after that the rest of the half was poor I think we were all sat at half time just sort of wondering what Mowbray was going to do at half time to um to maybe pick them up and he I mean, it, it, we talk about this loads of times. It isn't his way to make changes at half-time. He's not, he's not a type of manager. He, he, I, I don't know what his team talks are like in the in the changes, but my impression is if he is giving them a rocket, he's given them the, the opportunity to come back out and do something about it. And um, I, I, is he getting a reaction? Because we've had some bad first halves recently and we're coming out second half and for a while it felt like it was working, but... The last handful of games where we've been crap in the first half, I don't feel like we're coming out second half and looking any better in the main. Oh, I, I, I don't know. I think not hugely better, but I think he's he's recently he's had a couple of reactions at half time when we've had really bad first halves. I mean, you could you could argue we were we were a bit better at Rotherham in the second half after he after he got them in at half time. But I mean, talking about a reaction, I mean, we needed a reaction after Rotherham, and like I said, I. I it seemed like the team gave a reaction in the first 10 minutes because I thought, you know, it was all us in the first 10 minutes. So I think whatever he'd said yeah. to them, it seemed to put a rocket up them because they, they came out and they looked like they really wanted it first uh, first 10 minutes because there was that uh, Hume shot and then Danny Bart hit the bar. And that was about on eight minutes. But the, the worrying thing is for me that, again, we've got these, and I mentioned it before, uh, it, the, I can't remember it was the Rotherham game or the one before that. I've mentioned a few times lately. But we've got Roberts, we've got Ahmad, we've got Clark. Fantastic players and they all look like geniuses when they've got the ball. But the problem is when we're on top, we had that 10-minute spell and we didn't take advantage. Like we didn't get... What we needed was, and sometimes I think I think Martin might have touched on this a couple of weeks back, like sometimes we, we almost forget that we need to score goals. It's almost like yeah. let's let's play some nice football. Oh, let's say oh, let's play a few one twos and let's make it look nice. And it's like sometimes you want to tell them like lads, uh, we need to score a goal. Like we're on top, we'll put them under pressure for a bit. <laughs> make sure you get a chance and score a goal because it, it it's almost like the priority is to play a nice football rather than mm-hmm. to score a goal. And you you're looking for a plan B in that situation. And you, I was, I don't think we've got one at the minute. It's tough to watch, really, because like you say, you, you, you're looking at it and you're going, well, what are we going to try? That's different. You know, yeah. there isn't a plan. The plan B, in fact, the plan B in this game and the plan B against Redden, and it worked against Redden and we praised them for it. So we have to mention that. But the plan B was to just throw loads of players on and hope it worked. Yeah. And that's what we did, yeah? And it, it didn't work. Yeah. And we the bottom line is we were looking at the stats before the game, uh, before before the pod, before the game, before the pod. <laughs> I was going to say, is this, is this like a, a Back to the Future situation where you've got an almanac? I wish it was. I'd, I'd have a word with Mowbray. <laughs> we we had we had seventy one percent, seventy one, seventy two percent of the possession. 
we had over 500, what, 500 nod passes. They had 200 nod passes. Apparently, we had just as many shots on target, no, uh, or shots and shots on target and all this sort of stuff. We, so we had over two-thirds of the possession. We had twice as many passes as them, but they looked more dangerous. I mean, I think that tells you everything. Yeah, it does. It does. Like I say, that that sort of builds towards the... the, the I mean, they, their second goal comes very late in the game. So we had a whole sort of half, really, to try and rescue the situation. And Coventry knew that we were going to come and try and play football. So what they did was is they let us because mm. they knew we weren't going to mm. we weren't going to break them down. I mean, I didn't realise this is the meanest defence in the league. They've kept more clean sheets than any other team in the league. They were going to be difficult to break down. So we had to have a plan B and we didn't. Yeah. And I don't know, I feel, I feel like, you know, there's a bit of a bit of tension building here to the sort of reaction we're given now. And I'm sure lots of fans listen will agree and some might disagree. But people are really frustrated, not because they're just lining up to to slag the team off or slag the manager off, because that's not the case. You know, we've had a bad week. That's that's the reality of it. It's that a lot of this seems really avoidable to me. Like we knew I, I could have told you this was gonna happen as soon as I saw that team. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like I say, we we had a bunch of questions from uh, listeners about Luke O'Neill because people were wondering where he was. Why is he not playing in midfield? People asking, why is Dan Neal not being dropped? We've got GMZ, like I said before, asking, Dan Neal needs dropping. I asked if he should have a rest, but he, he can't even play the Evans role. Uh, Pat's saying we need more physicality in central midfield because we're too lightweight. And that was the theme of the sort of the the conversation after the game. People People watching it and wondering why we have no physical presence in the middle. Can you get your head around what that is? Because there's obviously a reason why we're persisting with with Neil and Michu. But it, it, it's been the story of the season through, through Dan Neil, and we at times we've almost congratulated the management for doing that because you know he he made high profile mistakes. At, like I think we've we've talked about it before Sheffield United. I think there was one against QPR. Burnley. I mean, yeah. yeah. So there's a few, but they kept him in there, and they said, "Nope, we're going to keep trusting you. Don't worry about it. You're not going to get pulled out because you know we don't want to impact you and all this sort of stuff." And look. Dan Neil is and is going to be a fantastic footballer. There's no doubt about that. But I think he needs managing. I think at this point in the season, we could say before that keep him in because it's early in the season. He's still got the energy to come back in the next game and make it and put it all right. But at this stage of the season, we're into late February now. And this is his first full season. And we've, we've kind of just kept him in and kept him in and kept him in. And this is the same conversation we had in the last pod where I just said, now it feels right that it's time where he just has a bit of a break. He just has a rest. He's like to, to mm. almost take, take the pressure off his shoulders. And I think with Evans getting injured, it's even put more pressure on his shoulders because before you had Evans almost protecting him a little bit and he could play his football and don't worry about it. You do your thing because Corey Evans is going to protect you behind you. But now Dan Neal is trying to play the Corey Evans role and do his attacking part at the same time. And now he's he's got all this on his shoulders. And I think from Tony Mowbray's point of view, I think he's looking for someone to play alongside Dan Neil rather than mm. replace him. So I don't think I think if O nine came in, it would have been for Mishu. And I and I, I can't I can't see Dan Neil getting pulled out. I, I just think with Corey Evans being out, Tony Mowbray will keep putting Dan Neil in. Yeah. Even if we all think he needs a rest and his performances are kind of dipped a bit because it's it's this point in the season he's played so much football. We had, we had a mini run of games 
sort of back in January into February where he was unreal. Yeah. Was brilliant. Yeah. He, you know, the, the Middlesbrough game, he was fantastic. He was brilliant away at Fulham. He was brilliant away at Millwall. I think he played really well in the in the home game with Fulham. Good in the win against Redden. Good. So he had, he had a run of games where he was really good, but that's a lot of football. I mean, yeah. let me just count them up. Borough on the 22nd of January, then Fulham uh, six days later, Millwall on the 4th of Feb, then Fulham again on the 8th of Feb, four days after that. Three days later, we played Reading, and three days later, we played QPR. Then four days later, we played Bristol City. Three days later, we played Rotherham. And then, what, four days later, we played Coventry. That is a lot of football. And we saw this sort of last year when with when Neil, where he, he, he was a regular sort of under Johnson. And then when Alex Neil came in, he was bombed out completely. And people put that, I think at the time, we put that down to just, you know, he him we, we felt like, at the time anyways, he was being protected. Probably in hindsight, it was just Neil didn't really trust him because he was too young. Uh, but he'd done the same with Callum Doyle, didn't he? Callum Doyle went from being a regular to just not playing. And at the time, we put that down to just, oh, they're young, they need time out, you know, they, we were flogging them to death. To be fair, at the time, I think we were flogging them to death. And I feel a little bit like that now. I just feel like, you know, he's, we're not saying Dan Neal's a bad player. He's become a bad player overnight. He had a brilliant run of games, and it wasn't that long ago. It was literally weeks ago when he was playing at the top of his game. But all of a sudden, that's tailed off dramatically to the point where it's concerning and not because, again, not because he's poor, because yeah. he isn't, but because that that run of just playing relentlessly has really had an impact on his performances to the point where we play Stoke next week, he's got a week between Coventry and Stoke and you've got to try and rescue his men, his his energy mentally as well. Like He's got a week yeah. to just sort yeah. of recover from some bad performances and Young players do lose momentum. I know people say, you know, they forget things a lot quicker than older players maybe do. But I think momentum's a big thing in football. And, like, I, I'm i really hoping that... I think he'll start against Stoke. And I really hope that this week is used to, to get him right. I think we, we can't forget about the last couple of weeks. Oh, and that I think he hasn't been managed right. He shouldn't have played at Rotherham and he shouldn't have played at Coventry in my book. And he did. And look at his performances. Yeah, you've got to protect them. I mean, these young players, I mean, totally. espe yeah. especially a player like that, we're not talking about hooking them because, oh, you know, he's he's crap or whatever like that. It's absolutely nothing. It's not related to that at all. It's trying to protect Dan Neil. I mean, it's his first time at this level. And eight games in four weeks. And I think he's played pretty much every, well, almost every minute of, of every game. I think he's probably only been brought off once, once or twice because he generally plays the 90 minutes, Dan Neil. So eight games in four weeks. And then, so he's also got, like I said, this pressure that I've got to cope with without Corey Evans and I've got to be the main man defensively. The other thing to add to that within that four-week period, and, and this this counts for a lot as well, because I think that the players are putting in more effort in terms of trying to get up the pitch with the ball, because that four weeks is all, that run of games, so the, the eight games in four weeks started with the loss of Ross Stewart at Fulham. And mm -hmm. the players are having to put in more of a shift to get the ball up because Ross Stewart was such a good out ball. If they were in trouble, they could play a 20, 30-yard ball up to his feet and he'd hold it up. Or you, they, yeah. could they could smash it over the top and he'd chase it down to make the defender put it out for a throw-in or make a mistake. So they've, they've lost that out ball. And you can tell because now when we get the ball in the final third, it takes, it takes so many passes to get it up there. But when we're there we kind of don't know what to do anymore. 
were a bit lost in the final third. And even though these players can take a player on and, you know, get some space, as soon as they look up, it's like, well, well what do I do now? What are my options? Because Mishu's me, me me not breaking his neck to get in the box. Dan Neal's been probably been told that, you know, he's got to protect the back four. Clark's always wide. Ahmad probably pulls to the edge of the box. Gellard's struggling. So the, when they're in those positions, they just look, from being this team, free-flowing team, they just now seem devoid of ideas when we get the ball in the final third. Yeah, and dev- great segue. Devoid of ideas. That was the summation of my thoughts when uh, I saw the second goal for Coventry, which, <laughs> to be honest, came our total lack of shape in that moment. It was late in the game. We were trying to get a goal back. But like I said before, the changes we made, none of them really made any sense. I think we just kind of threw players on. I'm pretty sure that uh, Bennett came on at left back or left wing back. He was the only player out on the left. I mean, I would have to properly break the game down again, pause it multiple times to try and work out who was playing where. I don't think the players knew. But if you watch the goal that, that Coventry scored, I mean, it comes from a situation where I think Bars dispossessed just around the halfway line. Yeah. And the ball ends up in the middle of the pitch And we have nobody at left back Equa's trying to get back to cover the space But he's obviously not playing there Their man gets down the left hand side And it's a very simple Coventry goal I mean, to me that goal comes because We we really aren't in any sort of shape at the time It's just been a case of pilot forward Which was the again the game plan which worked at home to Redden In this case didn't work they get forward, they kill us off with a second goal. And it's Gotteres who gets the goal, who thoroughly deserved a goal, to be fair. I thought he was their best player, he was brilliant. Mm. But a, a disappointing one from my view, because I like the, the fact we try to do all we could to get in the game. But if the players don't have a plan, per se, when they're going on there, other than get us a goal, come on, cover this position when, you, when you're defending, but generally get us forward, get us a goal... That's going to happen. We're going to get caught on the break. And I, I, those goals frustrate me as much as the first one did. Because <laughs> I just think when you consider we got a goal back at the end, in anyways, you know, it, it effectively lost us the game, really. Well, it, it, it killed us off, basically. But it, the, yeah. it, as you said, it came from Bart. And it was it was precisely the thing that was killing us all afternoon, or one, one of the many things that was killing us all afternoon. I think the ball was played up to Bart with his back to goal. And his first, his touch was awful and the player nicked it off him. And and I think he knew that his touch was awful. He ended up kind of slamming his fist off the ground because he knew. It was... Well, he, he sort of like shook his hand like he'd had his foot, his, his hand nah, stood he, on or something. Think, it was, was a bit ba- like... He, yeah. I think it, it seemed to me he was banging the floor in frustration because his yeah, touch was so perhaps, bad. Perhaps. But but the, but the, the, the thing that, what I was going to say was, what that was hurting us all afternoon was, in the same way as Barr received the ball into feet with his back to goal, it never stuck, and it was the same with Gellard. Every time we played the ball up, Gellard was half a yard short, or he he did a touch, and their defenders were right through the back of him, and we couldn't hold it up. We couldn't make it stick, and that's one of the big we we're missing Ross Stewart for many reasons, but I think one of the biggest uh, one of the biggest things we miss Ross from Ross Stewart is that holding the ball up and being that person who can make the ball stick, so we can we can get yeah. out. But like you said, once once we'd given the ball away, it was just. It was just crap defending from there, basically. I mean, that ball across the box, um, you know, t- t- the fact that he got in that position, the fact that it went right across the face of goal. 
I mean, it was just, it was a, it was a proper, like, a, a punch to the gut at that point, 88 minutes, you know, just thought, well, that's game over. But again, I mean, before that, the, the main point, I suppose, before that, as you as you quite rightly said, we had, we had a whole half up to that point, 1-0 down, and we made loads of changes to try and kind of change the game. But, I mean, I was some total in that second half to try and get the game back. It was a couple of half chances. I think Ahmad had that shot with a save in the nigger post. I think Roberts had a shot that just went wide, but there were half chances. There weren't. Yeah. I mean, you can't. You can't say we create. Oh, we were unlucky because we created loads of chances, but didn't put them away. We're not creating the chances, and, and it's not as concerning if you're creating the chances and missing them because at some point they're going to start going in. But when you're not creating mm. the chances, that's when it gets worrying. You talked about Ross Stewart. Then we've had a question from Chris Dunn, who's asked, "Who is the best person to have up there as a focal point?" He suggested Luke nine perhaps, but I think that shows the desperation <laughs> when we when we do need a, a focal point. That he's probably right. Luke nine probably <laughs> is the best man to do it because he can play anywhere. You know, somebody to just hit. But it, I mean, I'm I'm not going to pile in on Gelhart, right? Because I think I think there's a lot of reasons why this is a bad situation for him. Yeah, but he is not a striker who you hit the ball up to, yeah. and he never will be, and it's never going to work. And there's some clearly we don't know how to play at his strength. The rest of the team, he doesn't really know. I don't think he really knows how to play as a lone striker. He doesn't look like he, he's capable of it. And it, that isn't working. That that whole thing with him up front. I actually think we looked more cohesive when he went off for that sort of five minute period, where where there wasn't a massive changes. It, we we actually looked more cohesive because I, you think about it, we we played a hell of a lot of football without a striker this season. And we learned how to play that way. And when you when you put Gelhart up there and he's not getting involved in the game, it's tough because you you're effectively playing with one man less at times. So Chris has asked, "What do we do? To who do we put up there as a focal point? Is it not more of a case? You know, we we have to find a different way of playing that doesn't mean we have to keep looking up the pitch for somebody to hit. Or I mean, a couple of weeks ago, it felt like Agiolisi was getting up there and sort of playing not just as a wing back but as a sort of like a, a forward could a formation change maybe do it where we go three at the back and Elise gets forward a little bit more and we hit him when we need we need an out ball what, what do we do because I think we have to find not only a way of creating something different where we do have an option when we we need to get out but we have to find a way of getting all nine into the team and by the way that's the first thing he did when he came on he zinged a ball diagonally 80 yards to somebody I can't remember who it was now and you, you're looking at it and you're going why has nobody been that direct in this game so far so we have to work out not only how to get him into the team as many people have pointed out in the questions but also what do we do when we need to hit somebody up the pitch because it's not working with Galhart yeah well I mean j- just quickly on 09 I have no idea why 09 wasn't brought on at half time because that I mean M- Mishu was tidy on the ball but the like I said, him and him and Daniel were, were awful off the ball. But anyway, I mean, talking about that 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 thing up front, I mean, Gellart to me looks like a striker who plays off the shoulder and wants to get in behind. He's not someone who wants to come to the ball and hold it up and turn and all that sort of stuff. He, he doesn't want to play with his back to goal. Gellart isn't that striker. He wants, like I said, he wants the ball in behind and he wants space to run into. And this is the thing when when we haven't got Ross Stewart who who can hold the ball up. We seem to still be playing the same balls to Gellart as we would to Ross Stewart, expecting him to do the same job. But he's not mm-hmm. hes not the same striker. And Gellart's not going to do that for you. So 
So what, do, I mean, I, I literally have not got a clue. I mean, the, the only thing that, that I can almost say or think of that this formation that we've tried to play at QPR and Rotherham, where we kind of half-heartedly played two up front, where we played two up front, but they both played wide. Now, I think Gellard's the type of person that if you if you play him up top, he needs someone very close to him. And it seemed yeah. like to me that the gap between Gellard and our midfield was like 20, 30 yards at times. And he, he just, he looked, compared, and he was almost playing against a back five, the way Coventry line up off the ball. They had three centre-halves, and every time they lost the ball, their two wide players tucked in as full-backs. So it was, it was Gellard against a back five on his own, and he's not he's not going to get anywhere with that. So you need to get players close to him. And mm-hmm. I'm almost thinking, instead of that formation that we played with, the two, with Gellard and Clark wide, to get the best out of Gellard, it's almost saying we might have to just get someone you know, as close as possible to him on the ball. Like, say to Ahmad, you know, you just, you stick 10 yards behind Gellard, get the ball, turn, look in behind or something like that yeah. to, to give him, to give him someone close by rather than having that gap of 30 yards. And then maybe yeah. off the ball, Ahmad drops in as a, as a third midfielder or something like that. But where mm-hmm. you, whether you're going to get that work rate off Ahmad, I don't know. You might need to switch it out a bit. But for me, if you're going to play Gellard, I think you need someone close to him. I don't think you can isolate him like you can with Ross Stewart. No. And, and you just mentioned sort of Ahmad and maybe playing him somewhere differently. That might have to be an option. I know the, the combination between Robert and Ahmad at times this season has been magical. Um, but Mark Joblin on Twitter, he's said, do you think teams have worked out that if they shut down the Roberts, Ahmad and Hume triangle, they pretty much kill our attacking threat? I mean, I think, I think yes. I think, I think in the last few weeks, teams have killed that off. I mean, it wasn't helped by the fact Roberts didn't start at Rotherham, obviously, and we looked a lot better with him on the pitch. Him and Ahmad did link up well. I think when Hume came on, I think that sort of period against Rotherham where we had Roberts, Ahmad, and Hume on the pitch, we looked a lot better. But it may well be that we do have to change things slightly just to try and work players into the team. I don't know. You're talk, you're making me think there when you're on about how do we get people closer to Gelhard. And when I think about it, you know, you want an out ball, you want somebody to ping it up to when you've got a goal kick or when, say, the right centre-half picks it up, who's he going to hit? Well, you need somebody. Could it be that we, you know, we look at maybe playing Elise or Serkin as a wing-back on the left to help Clark out a bit? And then maybe on the right-hand side, you have, you might even have to put maybe Luke 9 somewhere out there just to try and win us some headers and knockdowns and second balls. Is that the way forward? I mean, that that is... Making, we spoke a lot this season about, you know, how much we love our style of play, the the football we're playing. But I'm actually suggesting things here that would make us slightly more agricultural. It might help us in the short term, but I guess the long term plan, and that's obviously in, in all these conversations, we're complaining about one game. There's a lot of other football being played this season. Going forward, there's obviously a style and a, and a way we want to play and the way we want to do things. And that I'm sure that will see us good in the end and but the other part of us is like well at the minute we do look like we just need a little bit of a help in hand and we're, we're going to Stoke next week and we'll come on to Stoke in a bit but we're going to Stoke next week who are a very slow old <laughs> not particularly technically good but physical team are we going to get dragged into these games again against them we do have to fight I think we need a plan B is the answer I don't know I don't know whether I would just pour cold water over the Roberts Ahmad Hume thing because it's clearly worked at times this season. 
but I, I just think we need a plan B. We need something different where we... Not, I'm not just on about bringing players on from the bench. In games, we need a plan B. And this is something Blackburn fans pointed out to us about Tony Mowbray when he came, was that, you know, for the most part, it is brilliant. The football's great, but he, there is a lack of a plan B there. And I think we've seen that in the last couple of games, and that's what we need to try and find. Yeah, I mean, the the, the other option is is almost to more look more defensive, but actually be slightly better going forward. Is actually if you play another midfield player in with Misha and Neil. So if you let's say you put Equa, you put O Nine in as a third central midfielder, and or someone behind them, or even you know have Misha as that kind of anchor man in front of the the back four, and having Dan Neil and Luke O Nine in front of them, because having that three, if you have that three in in central midfield, you could then free up you know whether it's Roberts. Ahmad Clark, you know, who, you know, two of that th- those three, and then Gellart. So you can say to whoever's playing with with Gellart, so it'll be like, you know, as I said, Roberts, Ahmad Clark, two of those three, and you could say to them too that don't worry about your defensive duties because we've now got three centre midfielders who are going to, sh- they're they're going to be the emphasis is going to be on those three, and you get close to Gellart, and you three kind of do your thing with, you know, either you know one of the. The centre midfielders kind of busting a gut to get in, whether it's Luke O'Nine, you know, Dan Neil, but one of them will just sit in front of the back four. So maybe, maybe we change the shape slightly like that, where you know that more in the central midfield to protect Mishu and Neil, win the ball back and give it to the three up front. So maybe we could, you know, use a different shape like that. But again, then it's kind of taking one of those attacking players out with the intention of being more attacking. So. I don't know. There's things there I think we can do, but we are struggling with that kind of getting the ball out quickly and 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 making the ball stick. But it's trying to find a way around that because with the players we've got left, I think we can only we can only play it on the deck. Really, I don't think we've got we haven't really got any player who can we can play that long ball up to and win and play from there. So if we're gonna we have to play the ball on the deck, it, so it's finding a slightly different way to do that. But on the other hand. We've seen how well these players can play. And I think that the play, in fact, watching the Rotherham game and watching the Coventry game, is all these players are playing below par. I mean, like I said, I mentioned Ahmad's first two touches. I mean, that's just being below par. That's not getting a first touch right, not getting a 10-yard pass right. So, I mean, you talk about tactics, you talk about shape, but players aren't doing the fundamentals right at the minute as well. No. And, yeah, I mean, we quickly touch on the goal again that we scored. Ahmad gets it in the fourth minute, I think, of added time. It was far too late. He'd had a stink at it, to be honest, Ahmad. Like a really, really poor game. But reminded us of the quality he's got when he wants to turn it on. He can do stuff like that. And I actually, when I, when the goal went in, not one part of us was really like happy. I was a bit annoyed. <laughs> that sounds stupid. No. I was annoyed. I was like, where the fuck has that been? Why have we not done that? We've had 94 minutes. Just somebody could have had a shot from anywhere on the pitch. It would have been better than what we had. So they're trying to walk it into the net all the time. And then when the game is dead and gone, somebody pulls that out who's played really poor, to be honest. I was just pissed off. I was like, you know, like, please people listen to this. Don't take this totally out of context because I feel I feel like all we've done is really mourn here. <laughs> <laughs> and we have, and it's not because... Again, it's a bit like what I said about Daniel. It's not because we think these are bad players or, you know, that we think Mowbray's a bad manager or, you know, that we think they're not trying. I think it's because we know they can do stuff like that. And it's just like, where, you know, sometimes you've just got to, like, 
ask that question, like, where's that been? Mm. Where has that been? And that, that I, I was, just, I wasn't, I actually felt more pissed off than anything when that went in. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I said at the beginning that I think when when Ahmad curled that in the top corner, I think pretty much every Sunderland fan just rolled their eyes rather than kind of celebrated. It's like, what? Where? Where's that from? You couldn't, you couldn't trap a bag of cement in the first five minutes, and then suddenly you ping one in the top corner. I mean, it's you know, but again, it, it, we've talked about the frustration of those of those forward players and that's kind of the the ultimate test in that game where they do nothing for 90 94 minutes and then suddenly it's it's an absolute moment of genius but uh but yeah i mean look there's two separate conversations going on because you're right it does sound like we're having a having a massive whinge but there's two separate conversations because if you talk about bigger picture I mean, I think everything's fantastic at Sunderland, and I, th- I think we do. We're overachieving, being ninth and four points away from the playoffs. And I think to me, that's a slight, n- not overachievement if you look at the players and the talent we've got. But I, d- I think a, an overachievement based on where we've come from in the last twelve months and a kind of, you know, arch we're on of, um, you know, that pathway we're on. I mean, we're slightly, you know, I feel like we're slightly ahead of where I thought we would be. So. I'm perfectly happy where the club are. I think we're doing fantastically well, bigger picture. But I think the last couple of performances, we can quite rightly say, hang on a minute, that based on what we've done this season, it's not quite good enough. No, no. And I think, you know, if we're sat after Stoke having won and beat Alex Neal, because that's, the, <laughs> that's sort of the, the carrot dangling, as everyone wants us to beat him, just to sort of stick two fingers up to him and <laughs> prove him wrong and all these other things. And, you know... If that happens, then we're not going to remember these two defeats. We're going to forget about them very quickly, and that's the that's the other side of it. I think we we can recover pretty quickly. You'd be talking about, you know, we we beat Stoke. You're looking at the playoffs again. Everything's rosy in the garden. We've had a week off, and we've got three points that we really needed. And you know, happy days, right? But if we lose mm. after the last two games and we lose to Alex Neal, it's a different story entirely. And uh, we've had a lot of conversations amongst ourselves sort of privately about sort of where, what this says about the rest of the season. And I think I think a lot of people have sort of, although they're really, really sort of irritated with the last week and a bit of performances that we've had and the decisions mainly from the manager, I guess, sort of team selection, that you, you do caveat that by looking at what you probably thought at the start of the season about our chances this season. And everyone would have taken just staying up, I think just being happy with being in the championship and not struggling. And, you know, you could say we've overachieved maybe and that, you know, a couple of defeats thrown into the mix. So it it maybe clouds your perspective because we are still in a really good position, even though we've lost a couple of games. You know, had had those defeats been spaced out a bit more, we maybe wouldn't have taken it so badly Um, and the performances that have followed it and stuff. You know, it's 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 a hard sort of one for me to weigh up at the minute because I'm like, part of us is really annoyed, but the other part of us is like, well, we were going to lose at some point. This was going to eventually happen. We were going to tire because we are basically stay, starting the same players in every game. It's so hard to get your head around. I think it's. <laughs> I, I, I'm I I have to say I'm I'm struggling a little bit with just sort of working out how I feel about all of it because I think I think you know. Part of us should probably just chill out a bit as well, it, you know. It's weird, isn't it, the psychology of it? Because let's say, let's say we'd bobbed around, you know, where Stoke are and Hull are at the minute, 16th, 17th. 
let's say we'd bobbed around there for most of the season and then and then won our last three or four games and finished twelfth. I think we'd all say, yeah, good season, that decent season, solid season, yeah, not bad that. But because we were third, because we were fifth for a bit, because we were kind of sixth for a bit, and then if we fall away and finish twelfth, the same result, there'll probably be a few people say, Oh, disappointing season that even though it's exactly the same result mm. that we finished. It's just the it's just the psychology of that have having that opportunity to finish in the top six and then dropping away and thinking, oh, you know, what what could have been? But I I just think that for me, and, and I said this at the start of the season, I had a look at when we last did this um jump up from the third tier, which was Dennis Smith and we finished eleventh. And I would have said I'll be and at the start of the season I said I'll be over the moon with a 11th place finish, and if we do exactly the same as what Dennis Smith's side did back then, far too long ago, 30 years or whatever it was ago. Um, <laughs> yes, and I said I'd be more than happy with that. And look, if we drop away a little bit and we finish 11th, yeah, okay, I'll be, I'll be, there'll be a slight, you know, be a small part of me says, you know, what could have been. But at the same time, I'll think, yeah, we've had a good season. Yeah, I, I would probably like to round this off maybe with uh, something. Else, we were tweeted in amongst the questions and stuff. Sean Geraghty, he said, it's a free ride this season. Just enjoy the beautiful football we sometimes put together. Okay, we won't always win, but it's a delight to watch. Forever Sunderland FC. There you go. I love that. And I think we'll end on that, Chris, because we've depressed people enough. Uh, we've got a game with Stoke coming up uh, next weekend, so we'll probably be back with a preview in, in some form, I, I presume. Um We'll have stuff all the way through the week leading up to the game on rotereport.espionation.com. Make sure you check that out. Um, whatever app you're on, I don't often ask this, but whatever app you're on, please like, subscribe, rate us five stars, all that other stuff. It does help us with the algorithms and stuff when we show up on the various podcatchers and feeds and what have you. So if you haven't done that before, we'd appreciate it. And yes, thank you very much, Chris. Thanks for joining us. No bother. Cheers, mate. Cheers, listeners, and we'll catch you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.